Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glixman with my tag team partner, Matt Story. Basketball put out their Hall of Fame inductees. Neither of us have anything to say about it. You can read people's hot takes on ESPN and elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, the Basketball Hall of Fame doesn't really have uh, the strictest of standards. Um, and and so a lot of people get in. I mean, uh, you know, and that's okay. I mean, every, every Hall of Fame is different. But, you know, Maurice Cheeks, for example... A good player, had a nice long career, but getting in this year, like, not really a guy I think you'd say is an elite-level all-time player, but kind of fits in the mode of the Basketball Hall of Fame. So it, it kind of takes away the uh, the passion that comes with the baseball and football ones. I think his Hall of Fame moment was helping that uh, woman sing the national anthem when she forgot the word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, again, you know, I, and I don't mean to slander him, Um Grant Hill. I mean, Grant Hill had a had a nice career and certainly a very good college career, but his NBA career was not all time great. But he's getting in the Hall of Fame as well, so um, you know it's it's almost uh, it has a feel of a little bit more of a participation trophy than it does really rewarding the very best. I think that is a very fair assessment, and I agree completely. I think it's interesting that Kid got in at the same time Howard Beck from Bleacher Report has a story about this is Kid's first time not being involved in basketball since he was uh, a mere boy because yeah, he went yeah. straight from playing to coaching to coaching. another coaching job. Right, right, um, yeah, and, and he deserves it. I mean, he's a, he's a no-doubter. Uh, you know, he's the type of guy that should be in the Hall of Fame, um, you know, but it waters it down a bit and then you know bill simmons made a whole book out of that concept and he he had a point um before bill simmons jumped the shark at least in my opinion um you know he he uh had a very good point that the basketball hall of fame is just so big that it really has watered down the meaning of getting in the basketball hall of fame yeah i think that is exactly right so it's i guess something to keep in mind when we talk about you know football and and you know their limits and baseball and how hard it is to get in and you know sometimes the argument is made well why do we have the limit why well that's why because then it matters and basketball doesn't have that and it doesn't really matter as much yeah it makes it a lot harder um to have the arguments basically because yeah, ultimately yeah. the line that we're moving towards where we're having the argument at is so far away from great. Right. Right. Know. Yeah. I mean, we're talking, you know, we're talking the debate between guys like Grant Hill and Chris Weber, who were good players, really good players. Apparently Chris Weber is not part of this class, or at least we don't, we don't know that he is. I mean, he's a, he was a finalist again. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think either one of them really should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I mean, they're they're very good players, but to you know, cross sports, they're probably akin to you know Donovan McNabb, who you know is one of my favorite players, but wasn't Hall of Famer. You know, I mean, there's a line there, um, and I, you know, I think football has it has it better, and and you know, in some ways, it's good. It's it's better to have people debating why isn't this guy in yet then kind of like oh yeah that guy got in great which is kind of how basketball hall of fame turns out to be yeah the basketball hall of fame feels a lot like the proverbial hall of very good yeah it does it does and it and it waters down the meaning of it to an extent i mean you know like my dad asked me a couple weeks ago you know he was reading an article and he said you know you think paul gasol's hall of famer i said he probably in the in the sense of the basketball hall of fame yeah um i mean is he really one of the you know top one percent of players ever Mm, probably not but he's you know when you count international stuff when you count all that yeah he probably is and that's kind of you know another example of why i'm not really sure the basketball hall of fame is what it's supposed to be yeah it just is not it's just not as important no, uh, no, know. and again, that's where a, it comes down to. It, it's you know, an aggressive you, you, hot take word, though, to say it's not as important, but it's not. It's not as true. important. It's true. It's not as much of an honor because there's so many people that, that are in, and, and that's why, you know, as much as sometimes it's frustrating when you have, like, 15 finalists in football, and, you know, this year, to me, was a great example. It's been that way where, like, 12 or 13 of them, like, man, you know, I could take maybe one or two names off right away. I'm like, God, how do you? 
how do you pick, you know, five from this group of 12? Um, but that's good. I mean, that's what it should be. It should, you know, because that makes it, that makes it elite. It makes it exclusive, you know, so that you're not putting, you know, 10, 15 guys in every year and then it kind of waters it down. Yeah. But let's talk about basketball that still matters. The final four, the Loyola Ramblers, nation's darlings. Yeah, still going. Yeah, yeah, man, you know, and continuation of a trend. I mean, you know, we're now, what, uh, this is, you know, in the last 13 tournaments, we've had uh, BCU, Loyola, Butler twice, George Mason. Uh, you know, that's that's five occasions. And if you want to count Gonzaga, even though they don't feel like a, you know, a, a small conference team, they are. They made it last year, so I mean, it's it's uh, you know, it's definitely a trend that has has developed. That it's not impossible for these schools to make it to this level. Well, and this is what you and I talked about about ASU going into the tournament, which yeah. is all you really have to do is get hot. Once you're there, yeah, it's just about getting hot. And well, you know, it shows you the the thin line between. I mean, look at look at and look. This sounds maybe delusional, but. ASU's first tournament game and Loyola's first tournament game basically came down to the very same play. Down and a three-pointer with less than five seconds to go, and theirs goes in, ours doesn't, we go home, they go on, you know, and and so it shows you just the thin line between, you know, winning and losing in this tournament, and, uh, you know, sometimes you escape a game and, and then you end up, you know, just getting hot from there, and all of a sudden here they are in the final four. Yeah. And they, you know, they escaped the first two to make it they to the did, yeah. They got a, they got a, you know, bounced in, you know, two point shot in the in the Tennessee game. They won by one point against Nevada. They were up by four. Nevada made a three there, you know, so a little, but still a one point win. And then you know had their had their easiest win in the Elite Eight, obviously. So now we get, you know, that half the bracket is sort of the upstarts, and on the other side. Ultimately, you wound up with chalk. Yeah, you know the yeah, one bracket. Yeah. Uh, that which I'm sure that Duke Kansas game we should talk about briefly. Great game, that, great game. Yeah, just that was fun. Terrific college basketball. It really yeah. was. It was. I mean, just the back and forth. The uh, you know for for nowadays what college basketball is, um, that was as good a game as you're going to get. Now, does it measure up to the great games of the '80s and the '90s? No, and and but that's not what college basketball is anymore. You don't have the the Titans who you know played each other for two or three years, and you know that just doesn't happen. But this was pretty darn good. You had stars, you had big name programs, you had championship coaches, and certainly a lot of drama. You know, real tight game the entire way. That that was fun to watch. And then you have Villanova, who just keeps on rolling. Yeah, they do. Didn't even play their best in the uh, Elite Eight game. You know, really bad shooting game for them, and still found a way to win. And and that's uh, I mean, that's the mark of a really good team. Is you know you can win with your average game, and they they beat a pretty good team with their average game. Yeah. And then I guess meanwhile, the last one is Michigan, who yep. gets loyal Chicago, which on paper you would think is. The easiest path to the title game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and another team that you know, again, uh, look back at their journey here. They were they were dead and buried in round two, down by two. They have to commit a foul. Houston's going to the line. They make two free throws. That game's over. They make one, and you know the best they could do is force OT. Instead, they miss two. They throw in a three at the buzzer, and here they are. So it, you know, it really does show you how how unpredictable this thing is and, and how random it is uh, because are these really the four best teams in the country? I don't think so. Um, but, you know, when you have a one-and-done scenario, it comes down to sometimes, you know, you know, two of the final four teams easily could have been beaten on the first weekend. They they were one missed shot away from going home and they wouldn't be here. So, uh, you know, it is, it is a random tournament. It doesn't always tell us who the best teams are. Yeah. No, I mean, that... You know, we talked about this going in. Best of seven, loyal is yeah. probably nowhere near here. But no, no, I mean, you survive know, in advance. Even, all all yeah, you gotta do is, yeah. you know, what's the Herb Brooks line? You know that they talk about in Miracle. You know, if we had to play them ten times, they might win nine. Sure. You know, sure, huh? sure, and and you know, I mean, 
and and you know you get a few breaks in matchups too. I mean, you know Loyola, yeah, they they beat Miami and Tennessee, and then you know by the seeds they played worse teams at the Sweet Sixteen and the Elite Eight. You know now obviously you're advancing in the tournament, but they didn't have to play the two seed Cincinnati. They didn't have to play the one seed. They didn't have to play the five, who we all assumed would would be the team to come out of that region, which was Kentucky. You know when the Sweet Sixteen got set up, Kentucky seemed like the overwhelming favorite. They got beat. Um, so you know it's it's a lucky break that you control, and sometimes lucky breaks that you don't control. Um, you know who you have to play and. And that's what makes this tournament so random is, you know, it's, it's, uh, to me, I mean, even though we, if there's probably nothing we predict more than the bracket in the NCAA tournament, that's probably the hardest thing to predict because you just don't know what's going to happen from one game to the next and how it's all going to shake out. Well, my bracket picks certainly speak to that, at least for me, yeah. it is the worst yeah, I do. I mean, yeah. I mean, we, uh, most everybody, you know, struggled. I mean, who had Virginia going out in round one? I don't think anyone, um, except for maybe some UMBC alums. But then there's uh, there's so many other things. I mean, that was that's obviously the headliner. But you know, Michigan State, who we both had in the Final Four, you had winning the title. Yeah, uh, Virginia, I had in the championship game. You know, Arizona. Arizona. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Cincinnati goes out early. Um, Xavier goes out early. Uh, I mean, this this really was a year. You know, you, you've heard it a lot recently. Like this, is, oh, anybody can beat anybody. This year kind of proved that. I mean, this was this was a lot of randomness that you know, and and it, you know, when you saw those upsets, they didn't seem like upsets a lot of times. Like Florida State beating Xavier, Florida State looked like a better team. That was a nine and a one, and and it didn't really feel like a fluke. I mean, it was a close game, could have gone the other way, but it certainly didn't seem like oh, mighty Xavier. It just felt like yeah, Florida State beat Xavier, big deal. Mm-hmm. So it kind of shows you, I guess, that what they what you know has been said is true, which is you know the top teams really aren't that much better than the the second tier teams. Um, I mean, look, bring it back to us. You know, we beat Kansas at Kansas. Now Kansas in the Final Four. Now, granted, three months difference, teams change, things change, but you know, again, shows you just the the randomness of one game. I mean, if we can beat Kansas on the road. You know, we could have beat anybody in the tournament. We didn't. But again, one shot goes in, and we beat Syracuse, and who knows where we end up. Do we lose in the next game? Maybe. Maybe we keep on winning. Uh, you know, that's that's the thing. I mean, we didn't make the shot, so we don't know. But um, sometimes it comes down to just, you know, one make or miss, and that changes how everything goes from there. I don't even think I should say this, but... Do you want to try to guess what happens this weekend? <laughs> we didn't do a very good job last weekend, although I think we both uh, agreed on Villanova, and I, I have stuck with them. I mean, that's been the, it's been the only thing I felt good about, you know, over two weekends. But, yeah, sure, why not? Uh, you know, we might as well. We're down to three remaining games. We might as well uh, forecast it out. All right. I, I'm going to go with Michigan. I think that – Loyola is happy to be there, and that's a great story. I just don't think it keeps going. I, I just can't see it, so I'm going to take Michigan. And actually, I think similar logic that Villanova is going to beat Kansas because I think that game, Kansas-Duke, they were spent, and it was a huge emotional game, and I know they've had you know five or six days to yeah. – work their way through it, but they made the final four by beating Duke. It doesn't get bigger than that. And no, no agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm with you. I mean, I, I'm going to stick with Villanova because as I said, that's the, that's the one pick I made at the start of the tournament that still is in play. I, you know, uh, two of my final four were gone by, you know, the first weekend being over, uh, another one got beat this week, 16, but my, you know, my one team left is the team I picked to win the title, and so why change? I mean, they they have so many different things they can do. They're deep. They can shoot. I mean, everybody can shoot. Really good outside shooting team. Again, they didn't they didn't even shoot well against Texas Tech, but they still won. Um, you know, good good veteran point guard. You always look for that. Now Kansas has one too, and Graham. Uh, but that Brunson kid just seems like the tight. He seems like you know, Kemba Walker those type of guys who they just kind of lead the way and 
and it's very tough to beat them. Um, and they've done it recently. I mean, you know, they had the stigma over them for years. Uh, they don't do it in the biggest moments, but they did two years ago. So there's no reason to have that doubt anymore. So, uh, yeah, I'm sticking with them. And I probably would go Michigan, too, for the same reason. Um, you know, Butler didn't have that. I mean, you know, Butler got there, and, and they, they got to the title game both years. Um, I'm trying to remember what VCU did. I, I, my mind is, is blank on, did, were they, they lost in the Final Four, but who did they even play? Do you remember? I don't. I remember George Mason also George lost in the Mason Final Four. Got, George Mason got beat pretty soundly. Now, they were, they were playing a team that maybe at the time we didn't realize how good they were, um, that Florida team that ended up winning the title that year and the next year. Um, you know, so maybe we didn't give them enough credit. But I remember they they were kind of the team that always sticks in my mind because they were the first that got there. They had beaten UConn, who was the number one overall seed in the tournament. And it was like, man, this, this team could win it all. And they showed up in the Final Four and they were outclassed. And, and so that's always kind of the memory I have. It's like, oh, these teams get there. Can they really keep it going? Um, but yeah, I'm totally, I'm totally blank on what VCU did. A VCU, who, that was 2011, right? When they were in, I think. And that was UConn. But I can't remember who they played. Or, or didn't they play Butler? Wasn't yeah, it Butler and VCU? Well, because I mean, it was Butler, UConn was the final. Yeah, I think it was Butler VCU, so maybe that's why. Because you know, it was kind of like, well, one of those teams is going to get there. Um, they didn't really play a you know a heavyweight program in the Final Four. Um, and Butler UConn was one of the worst title games in recent memory. Just an awful game. Um, it's when people but, started saying maybe they shouldn't play in football stadiums. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did. It's also uh, one of those games that's kind of the hallmark of like. Uh, boys, do we really get the two best teams in the final? No, no. Sometimes we do, but uh, that was not a great game at all. I think it was like fifty to forty-one or something. Wasn't that the final? Um, really awful game. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I-, I think Michigan probably wins, but I don't think Michigan is that good to the point where you know Loyola can't beat them. But I just you, you know when you get to here, you always tend to favor the the more experienced team in games like this they haven't played the final four but they've played you know in big settings and Loyola has not played in anything like this before they were defeated by Butler were they okay okay yeah as I as I said that I started thinking I think they played each other so you don't you know George Mason's the one that sticks in my mind and I have a fear that that's what'll happen with this game I hope not I hope it's a good game I hope they hang in and, and, you know, I'd love to see them win. I think it'd be cool if they won and, and got to the title game and, you know, had a, had a competitive run there. I think it, I mean, I think that'd be great. Yeah. I mean, it's an excellent story. It's, it's what makes college sports fun. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely the type of, uh, story that, you know, the NCAA has, probably really loved especially this year of all years um with such a you know scandal ridden college basketball season you know the story of of this team um which probably doesn't have any pros on it uh you know and anybody who you know would have gotten paid to go to school or anything like that you know this is just exactly the type of distraction the ncaa loves yeah absolutely um speaking of college related distractions Sean Miller not going to Pittsburgh. Then a story comes out. Pittsburgh's desperately seeking Sean Miller. Do you think Sean Miller's coaching at Arizona next season? Yes or no? Boy, I still tend to think no, uh, but I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, hearing enough whispers, and that's all they are is whispers, obviously. Uh, You know, there's nothing substantive to them right now that he is – looking for a way out that he would jump at the chance to go coach in the NBA. Uh, now I don't know if he really is going to get an NBA head coaching job, I, but maybe he can be an assistant. I don't know. I mean, that's a big step down in some ways, but if he's looking to get out before he's pushed out, maybe that makes sense. Um, maybe he gets an NBA head coaching job. I don't know. Ooh, I like the idea of a buck staff with Rick Pitino and Sean Miller. <laughs> Finally getting to play pay players above the table. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, of course, there's there's rumors here because that's, you know, the small town mentality that is Phoenix. And sometimes it really is, even though it's one of the biggest cities in the country, is, you know, oh, he could be the Suns coach. Like, really? I, I mean, I know the Suns have gone through a series of, you know, mediocre at best head coaches. But why exactly would they want Sean Miller to be their coach? What, what is his credentials that they would pick him over anybody else? I don't. I don't know, um, but that's kind of that, you know, small town Arizona mentality that sometimes seeps in here. Um, but I, yeah, I, I just, I still have a hard time believing he will be, uh, but I guess until he's not, you know, you proceed that he is, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a strange situation. There's not really a comparable scenario to say, well, it's going to play out like this one. I don't know. He, what he wants is the Pete Carroll, but yeah, oh, I'm sure. he doesn't have the track record. No, no. I mean, he's never coached in the NBA at, at all. I mean, he wasn't an assistant, um, you know, and, and it's very different. I mean, coaching, coaching college basketball and coaching NBA basketball, I, man, I don't know that they could be more different. Well, and you could argue, games, you could argue his time. strength is his recruiting ability, which, does nothing for him in the program. Right, right, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't really, you know, maybe it's unfair criticism, but he hasn't always really shown that he can get the most out of very talented teams. Um, and that's what you want in an NBA coach. Because theoretically, you can have the talent. Everybody should be at, have access to get the talent in the draft. Um, and you want a coach who can get the most out of young guys, especially if you're, let's say, let's say the Suns really are interested. Suns are a young team. They've got, you know, young players, guys who probably should still be in college in a lot of circumstances. You want a coach who can get the most out of them. Has he really done that? I don't know. Uh, I mean, this year he certainly did not. I think that is unequivocal to say they won the Pac-12 the Pac-12 was awful so you know that's that's great I mean that's good for them they won the Pac-12 on talent alone that team underachieved when you had the talent they had they should have been better well and and he's not he's not Brad Stevens you no no, one is ranking him as like a once a generation X's and O's guy no not at all not at all no I mean mean, Brad Stevens a couple I think it was a couple days ago drew up a final shot play where the inbounds went to Ojale, who wasn't going to shoot, who is not right. a shooter, and right. still it drew enough traffic to free up a guy to shoot. I mean... Right, right, yeah. I mean, no, I agree. I mean, Sean Miller does not have the rep, and I know, you know, you say, well, you're just an Arizona hater. No, I, I think people who are pretty neutral on Arizona and him would say he's not exactly a genius tactician. Not to say he's an idiot, but he, he's never really been known as a, oh, man, that guy's brilliant. Well, it's like, uh, it's like you this. Know. You know, they let Coach K on the Olympic team, Bayheim on the Olympic team, sure. things like that. Sean Miller gets in, invites to coach the national youth team, yeah. which yeah. is just helping recruiting. That's, that's like where right. Calipari goes. Right. right. And, and, exactly. and I think yeah. that maybe one of the things that harms him is Calipari's Failure and flame out in the NBA. Yeah, yeah, you might be right. Yeah, I mean, uh, very possible. You know, and and maybe again, I, there's there's possibility that I'm showing recency bias here. This year's team underachieved. They did have some very good teams. No, they never got to the final four. But I just got through saying how random the tournament is, and it is. And you know, they lost what back to back years. They lost to Wisconsin in what 14 and 15 or 15 and 16, whatever it was. Yeah, in the elite. Um, yeah, and, and those were both toss-up games. I mean, those were games, just like I was talking about, could have gone either way, and, and we'd be talking about something different if they'd gone to back-to-back or even one Final Four. So maybe I'm being a little bit unfair, but I would say, you know, you could question whether or not he's really gotten the most out of the talent there. He's, he's recruited extremely well, and for them to have never gotten to a Final Four with him, and again, yeah, the tournament's random, but he's had, what, eight or nine cracks at it so I mean eventually you expect that talent's going to push through one time and it hasn't yet so you do have to question something about him that he hasn't fallen into one it's not always the best team that gets there I mean Jay Wright I, I saw him on PTI yesterday and he said that you know he thinks he's had teams that are better than this one who didn't get to the final four 
but you fall into one when you're good, you know, and, and he hasn't. So I think you have to wonder about that. Yeah, I agree. It's the first day of baseball season. There's no transition. If I had an ad, we'd put an ad read here. Yeah, I don't have an ad, so we're just yeah. going to go straight into baseball. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, before we do that, though, give me your opinion. Do you think Sean Miller's the coach to Arizona? I think that both of them want to separate, but yeah. neither of them has an easy way out. Yeah. I, I think that if Arizona could fire him, if Arizona really thought that that four-cause buyout was a way to get out of jail free, they would have used yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think that the Board of Regents being involved, knowing nothing, my gut reaction is the price matters. And if you have to pay him to coach or pay him not to coach, then you pay him to coach and you hope someone else wants him. He yeah, wants to I go suppose. somewhere else, but he, it's toxic. You know? Yeah, yeah. Him getting another college job, I just don't see it. I mean, the rumor about Pitt was interesting, but I think you know, I think every school is going to be a little leery of, of taking him on. So if he is going to get another gig, it's probably in pro basketball somewhere. I think it could be in pro ball, and I think it could be going the way, way other direction. And you know, like where did Thad Mata go? Did he go to Pepperdine? Uh, no, Pepperdine got. Um, uh, Romar in oh, Arizona. Yeah. I mean, you know, after, right. yeah. I could see him I doing think, something yeah. like that. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that'd be a, a possibility, I suppose. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it'll it'll be interesting to see where it goes. But yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I don't think, think either one of us knows for sure. I'll put it this way: I think both of them, Arizona and Sean Miller, want this to be over. Yeah, I think yeah. that Sean Miller's not going to give up the money to leave, and Arizona's mm-hmm. not going to pay him to go away. So, so are we headed for a? Uh, and you you mentioned that that reminded me a June you know divorce, uh, which was so unusual. But wasn't it like June or July when Ohio State fired that Mata? You don't usually see that in college basketball. Are we? You think we're headed for something along those lines? I think that it's going to play out through the draft and through recruiting being yeah. done and transfer yeah. season and all of it. And then I, I think that what they might do is go all the way to lame duck and just, yeah. you know, fine. You want to coach with no, you know, cause right now, you know, when I was home, my brother was telling me about, you know, they are high on a grad transfer from Maine. Oh, okay. okay. If you're going to, yeah. if that's the incoming impact guy you're going to have, there, there's a lot of talent there. I, yeah. You know, a lot of leftover talent, guys who I wanted ASU to get can't sniff the floor like Alex Barcelo there. But Yeah, yeah. He might be next year, though. Yeah, but the flip side is the talent pool is drying up, and I think that in some way is why Miller wants to leave now. I think so, too. If he can get out now, the rest of it, you know, maybe people forget. Yeah, yeah. You, know, no, Bruce, I, I you Bruce so Pearl it a little. Right. Right. No, you're you're right. Yeah. I mean, you, and you hope that maybe an opportunity comes your way in a couple of years like it did for Bruce Pearl, which is why Kelvin Sampson, which is why I think there's maybe this dare going this this game of chicken. I think he knows U of A wants him gone, but doesn't want to pay him. And U of A knows he wants to leave, <laughs> but doesn't want to give up the money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right. It, it, it has the feel of a, of a stare down right now. That uh, you know, both of them are, are kind of uh, waiting the other side out. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see uh, where it finishes. And you know, would he would he take an NBA assistant job? I just mentioned the name, Kelvin Sampson. He did. Uh, I think he coached for a couple teams, and now he's at bat. Now he's back in college at Houston, and you know, had a pretty good team this year. Got to the second round of the tournament. And, you know. Um, because, you know, well, now, boy, with all the other stuff, cell phone calls don't seem so bad. But, you know, with what Kelvin Sampson got in trouble. But still, you know, memories are short. People forget. Like, yeah, yeah, let's give that guy another chance. Yeah, I remember that guy had some good runs in the tournament. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting. But you, you transition to baseball. Let's transition to the opening day of Major League Baseball on a Thursday for, I believe, the first time ever. 
I like it. I like that everyone's playing together. I like that there's not a game, you know, in Australia or somewhere else. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. Uh, yeah, I like that they at least attempted. I mean, I know the Reds game got rained out, I guess, but um, attempted to have everyone start on the same day. I like that. Um, I always thought the last few years when they did an opening Sunday night game, I never understood why they didn't kind of do it like the NFL, like give it to, you know, give it to the team that won the World Series or something. I mean, uh, you know, like that would be, I know they put out the schedule before the end of the year, which I've never really understood why they do that either. Um, so, uh, you know, if you're going to do it, if you're not going to do that, I guess, yeah, have everybody start on the same day and don't have one major kickoff game. Just have everybody open the exact same day like you used to. Um, but I, I, I'm happy it's back. It's cold out here, which is why I'm glad the Brewers are opening in San Diego because yes, at least are, on TV yeah. today it looked like it was baseball season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's always nice to have baseball back just for the simple fact of for someone like me gives you gives you some scores to check every single day. There's always something, uh, you know. There's always a few games, even on a slow day in baseball. There's usually four or five games, so. Um, you know, gives you gives you something that when it's like, oh, I got to check scores. There's something there. Do you have have you thought about any strong hot takes from the first almost full day of action? Because I have one. <laughs> I've got I've got no, my hot go take. Ahead. What's yours? In his first at bat, Giancarlo Stanton hit a ball 426 feet opposite way. Okay. On the road. I think that he could hit, and I'm not. He homered twice today. I think that he can be pushing 70 this year. You think so? The Yankees, if he stays healthy, that stadium is so small that balls that he's used to being a pop up are gone. And yeah, I mean, there's no doubt it's it's a hitter friendly park. Um, It'll be. I mean, I wonder how he's going to do with the glare. Of New York, I mean, you know, they joked about it on the Levitard show a couple of days ago. Like, what's he going to do when there's actually people in the stands every game? Because um, he's not used to that. And in some ways, it's not really a joke. He's he's played very anonymously, and now he's not going to be anonymous at all. Oh yeah, I mean, the one thing though that I think helps him is he's got Judge in the lineup with him. He's yeah. got Sanchez at catcher, who's a power sure. hitter. If Bird can ever get healthy, they got Bird right. in the lineup. The guy's got protection. Teams might actually have to pitch to him. This is like, I mean, and if they don't pitch to him, he might earn somebody else the MVP the way Bonds did for Jeff Kent. Maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Uh, they'll, they'll be uh, obviously a you know captivating team to watch this year um, because of that trade and because of Aaron Judge and how he does. You know, does he have any sort of sophomore slump? I mean, he went through some slumps last year. You wonder if he has any, you know, dip. Um, and and really, you know, how, how does this guy, I mean, he certainly got to a great start today, two homers, but how does he perform with the pressure? Because there's going to be big pressure. And the first time he has, you know, three games where he doesn't get a hit and he strikes out six times, there's going to be a lot of media attention. And in Miami, there wasn't. Uh, you know, so how does, he, how does he handle adversity when there's going to be a lot of attention on that adversity? I mean, I think it's an interesting question that we're heading towards. I just think he'll handle it well. He had good protection last year with Yelich and Osuna. Right, right. And somehow he has better protection, and he led baseball in homers last year. Oh, he did, yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, he's definitely got a, a uh, friendly park to play, you know, 81 games in. Um, uh, you know, so he's going to get – and you're right. I mean, it's a, it's a good order. He's not playing on a, on a talentless team where, you know, you can just get around him and, and you know, not give him anything to hit. He is a big-time strikeout guy, though, as are a lot of power hitters nowadays. And, you know, so I just I just wonder, again, with that attention that comes with being the Yankees star, you know, and you're going to – I mean, that's, that's how it is, media hot takes. Right now he's the king of New York, but, you know, if the next two games he strikes out six times and he doesn't get a hit, it'll, you know, when they come home it'll be, what's wrong with him? He's, he's overrated. Um, and nobody's got more media than New York. So – I'm curious. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to fail. I'm just curious how he'll handle it. Uh, he might thrive in it, or he might struggle with it. Which do you think is the more likely story tomorrow? Stanton is awesome, or 
does Trout going 0 for 6 mean we have to worry about Mike Trout? <laughs> Probably Stanton is awesome because of exactly that. Trout gets to play in mostly anonymity. Even though he plays in L.A., they're the second-tier team in L.A. And, I mean, really, L.A.'s not New York. I mean, it's a big city, but you know the difference between the West Coast. and I mean, it's not intense. Uh, there's, you know, there's so, there's just not the same mentality on the West coast. Like, you know, so they don't, they don't probably have as many people to overreact, you know, that, that probably won't even be noticed. Now, if Trout, you know, is hitting 100 after April, then it'll be, you know, wow, what's wrong with Mike Trout? But, you know, we've always, we've talked about this through the years, you know, when we were kids and in college, you know, high school and college, every May, it was like an annual, right? What's wrong with the Yankees? They're in trouble. And every year they'd end up in the playoffs. So the Yankees always get more attention than they should, for good or for bad. And so, yeah, I would I would take the Stanton angle on that. Do you think it's a good omen for the Cubs that the first pitch of the year was a home run by... It ain't a bad omen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, hey, I don't know if it means anything, but it certainly ain't bad. Um, Hap, uh, Hap continued his, his, you know, torrid play. At, you know, he was great in spring, too, hitting leadoff, so... Maybe they've uh, they got an answer to that, and they they you know tried so many different guys there last year to replace Dexter Fowler, and it never really they never really found any rhythm there at all. Uh, maybe he's the guy. I, he certainly had a good spring doing it. And that was that was a pretty good start. It protects them from doing things like having to hit Schwarber there. Yeah, I know Madden said you know he's still you know considering that possibility, or at least he did in the spring, like. I don't think that worked. I think uh, Schwarber had such a rough start to last year. Maybe that was part of it. Um, I just don't think he's – I mean, he's a patient hitter, so I get the notion that, like, you know, you, you give him an opportunity, but he's not a leadoff guy. And I know leadoff guys are different than they used to be. They're not always the fast base stealers like it like it used to be the case, but I don't think that's a good role for him. I, you know, today was the classic Kyle Schwarber experience. He butchered a ball in left field and gave up runs, and then he hits home run to take the lead, you know, or to extend the lead. That's what he does. He's not there for his defense. He's there for his bat. So keep that bat in the lineup and, and find a way to work around his defense. Yeah, put him at DH in interleague games. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. And and they'll, you know, they'll, you know, Madden loves to do the platooning. So he won't play every day. No one, uh, probably besides Brian Rizzo, will play every day. Um, uh, you know, so... Uh, you know they'll they'll find games where he doesn't match up as well, and they'll play Almora or they'll play other guys in the outfield. Um, and you know you just you hope he can. I was glad to see him homer today because uh, hopefully he can get off to a better start than last year because last year was such a rough first half that he never really overcame it. Yeah, he you know it, he's one of those guys you talk about with college basketball teams and sometimes pro teams where offense leads to defense and things like that. Yes, if yes. his offense is going. Everything else will be at least exactly. forgiven. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's uh, you know it's James Harden. Uh, we talked about James Harden when you went to see them. You know, he's he's not going to take away a lot of points, but he's going to put up a lot of points. So you live with the fact his defense is substandard because boy, he can score thirty a game and he can get ten assists a game, and that's what Kyle Schwarber is. I mean, as long as he's you know if he's hitting uh, north of two seventy and he's hitting for power. You'll live with the fact that his defense is not stellar. It's never going to be. Uh, I mean, that's just that's just a fact. He's never going to be a Gold Glover. But you know, you, you hide him in left field and you hope he can you know be serviceable out there. Today was not a great start, but you know that's just going to be the way it is. And like you said, if he homers, then yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm of the belief that over the course of the season, he'll provide more runs than he gives up. Uh, you know, he, there might be a game or two that they lose because he butchered a play in the outfield. But I'd say there's maybe going to be, you know, hopefully 10 or so games that they win because he gets a big hit to help him win the game. Do you have strong opinions on whether preseason projections in baseball matter? And the reason I ask this is because of all the sports, although basketball is quickly catching up, yeah. Baseball is the one where at least the perception is statistically you can figure a lot out and and pretty predictable. You, and you can be confident in projected outcomes within a given range. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, matter in the sense that like like
like in the old days of, of college football where they matter in, in determining actually who's going to win? No, but matter in the sense that they can be very accurate and that you, yeah. know, you don't take a lot of leaps. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I heard Olbermann was on PTI yesterday and he was talking about how unpredictable baseball is. And I, I had to kind of like think, what is he talking about? I mean, you know, baseball is fairly predictable because they play so many games. Yeah, it's not like football. Football is a very random sport to predict because, you know, a team wins, you know, a team loses a couple games in September and, and all of a sudden their season's off the rails or a team gets out to a, you know, five and one start and they end up going 10 and six. And are they really that good? No, but they got, you know, get up to a good start. Things go well. Baseball and basketball don't have that because you, you can't fluke your way through 81 or, or 82 or 162 games. You just can't. If you're that good, or if you're not, it's going to be exposed. Absolutely. And I think that's part of why – so where I'm going with this is when you're building a team in basketball mm-hmm. you know, or football, the mantra is always we're, we don't have to be done putting the team together when we exit camp. Things right. will happen. Things will shake right. out. But with baseball, because it's so predictable, you really don't have that, which is why it's hard, I think, when you're a fan of a team that's not projected to do well to really generate a lot of interest. Because you know, with basketball, with the Sixers, for example, they weren't projected to do well, but they were almost selling that. With baseball, it's like, well, we're not projected to do well, but don't worry because when we deal the three guys you've heard of, sure. we're going to get a lot of 20, 21, 22-year-olds. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a slower – process and and you say the Sixers and that's obviously the word that's always associated with them but you know basketball sells and it's you know you this may be what you mean when you say basketball is catching up to that basketball is not quite as much as it used to be in the sense that it sells immediate hope because now you draft these guys and they're 19 they're not ready to be stars right away and it takes a little bit of time but nonetheless they're on the roster you see them right away you know you see uh, you know, Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns, uh, you know, right away. You see Anthony Davis. Now, he's come into his own. He's become an MVP candidate. But it's been, what, five years, six years. Um, it takes a little bit, but you see them. In the in baseball, you don't see them. You know, you trade for these future prospects and, and you draft guys and you don't see them right away. So it is hard to sell, you know, hang with us. I mean, the Cubs – and the Astros, the last two World Series champs, are great examples. They both went through really lean times. And, you know, they both sold, you know, stick with us. The future is going to be bright. And it was. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to do that because you don't see the results. You don't see those guys. You know, they toil away in small towns taking buses. And you just have to, like, think, eh, yeah, well, give it two years. They'll be better. And maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But you don't get to actually see it with your own two eyes very much. It's going to be painful for me to say this, but in baseball, I think you need a good fan base like the Cubs that the true fans are digging into the minor league system and you have enough yeah. true fans that they can shout out the you know, the guys who are like, yeah. I can't believe you'd trade Aramis Ramirez. Right, you know? right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, the Cubs had the advantage in the sense, and it was rough, but they hired Theo Epstein who came with that pedigree. And he said, you know, he basically came out and said, believe in me, I know what I'm doing. We're going to make this work. And I bought in. And I think a lot of people bought in. And he delivered. But that doesn't always happen. You know, it was it was easier to believe in him because he'd done it before. Even though he'd done it in a different way with the Red Sox, he had had that success before. And so you thought, well, you know what, let's give this a shot. If you were an Astros fan, it was probably hard to believe because – you were tearing down what had been a, a decent team for a long period of time. Never great, but decent. And you were getting rid of guys like Lance Berkman and you know household names that people came to embrace. And you were tearing it down, and you were bad. I mean, they were awful for two or three years. So it's, you know, they paid off. But again, it's it's hard to keep the faith in those years that, you know, just, just hang in and wait for us. We'll be there. Because you don't you don't see it. I mean, you we didn't see George Springer. He was in the minor leagues. So was Carlos Correa. You know, so you have to just kind of have this blind faith that well, these guys will work out. And sometimes they do, but a lot of times they don't. 
Well, and I'm sure when they initially said our second baseman is going to be five foot seven. Yeah. 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 And, yeah, and, yeah know, I mean, my, the only comparison I had in, in my fandom was David Eckstein. And it's right, like, well, you're right. not building a World Series champion with him was, as the, you know, top of the order. Yeah. But then he ends up winning the MVP. So who, yeah, who would have guessed? I mean, uh, yeah, that's, that's an unusual one, obviously, but yeah. And, and, you know, that's been a, a common theme of this offseason is that are a lot of teams trying to go that way. They're not spending money. They're not spending a lot of money on, on mid range free agents. I mean, this, the free agent market was hugely depressed this year. And, and so you see a lot of teams that kind of seem to be playing the long game. And what that does is then set up a situation where you probably only have about, you know, 10 to 15 teams that you think, you know, I mean, at what, 10 teams make the playoffs now total? Yeah. I mean, realistically, you could probably shave 10 right off the bat that have zero chance this year. And on an opening day, that's not ideal. But I think that's probably accurate. I mean, you, you could easily take 10 teams and say they got no chance to make the playoffs right now. Yeah. And I, I think that's gets to my point of how baseball is more predictable than everything else yeah. is that you can realistically look at your team and say, unless we get huge leaps, it's how ESPN could write that right. insider story of what your team needs to succeed. And it's like your team needs to repeat last year if you're the Dodgers or the Astros. But then right. for other teams, you know, for the Brewers, they said they need eight breakout seasons from guys. They need yeah. eight players yeah. on the 25-man roster to have career years. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, I, I always go through, you know, every year I, you know, have a annual tradition with my dad. We make our picks, and, you know, I did my playoff picks, and they, they look a lot like the teams who made the playoffs last year because mm-hmm. there isn't a lot of year-to-year fluctuation uh, you know you like i mean i picked the the cubs the nationals the dodgers um i think I, I picked milwaukee and colorado to win the wild card so basically the same field from last year except milwaukee instead of arizona which came down to the difference between a few games i think in last year's standings um you know and then in the al i you know i picked the yankees the red sox the indians um uh, the Astros, uh, you know, so pretty much the same group from that, you know, so like you just don't see a lot of fluctuation. There are surprises. I mean, the Twins last year were a great example. Didn't think they were a playoff team. They ended up being one. The Giants were the opposite. Probably thought they were, a, you know, heavyweight. They were terrible. But you don't get a lot of those in baseball. Most of the time it plays out according to form. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I just think it's nice to have baseball back and give us this stuff to talk about. I I want to, because we never really got into it, talk briefly about the depressed free agent market and, and our teams being smarter. I think that it's more about teams being smarter than collusion. You know, I think so too. I I, I, I agree. Yeah. I I don't think it was some sort of organized conspiracy. I think it was just maybe finally the the market kind of tipped and and people thought, do we really want to pay this much for these guys? No. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a Brewer fan. I love the Brewers. I love Brewer baseball. If I'm being objective, do I think that the last year of that Lorenzo Cain contract is going to look good for the team? No. And I and I yeah, and yeah. I think that they paid him that as a premium to get him to come back to Milwaukee. Now he said all the right things about how he started his career here. He wanted to come yeah. back, and that that's all great, but. You know, they had to pay a premium. And I think a lot of teams looked at it, especially with pitchers, and said, oh, no, thank you. We uh-huh. The Brewers did that with pitching. Everyone assumed that they'd be in on somebody, Darvish, Lynn, Arietta, Cobb. Right. And, and they just said, no, we'll we'll roll with our guys, and we've got guys in AAA, and we've got, you know, veterans in yeah. AAA. And yeah, the- oh, I, I think so. I, I think especially with pitchers because of the rate of injury among pitchers nowadays, I think there is a leeriness of – committing a lot of money in a lot of years. Um, you know, the, the Cubs got Darvish and, you know, they got him for, I guess, probably less than what people would have expected, but it's still a lot of years and a lot of money. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on that. I feel the same way. Like I hope Darvish is good this year and the next couple, but there's a pretty good chance that by the end of his tenure there or before the end, he's going to be an albatross that they're going to wish they could get rid of. Uh, you know, so yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you know, I, I think teams are just being wiser and saying, no, we're not going to pay this much for this long. 
Uh, I mean, again, Darvish didn't get as much as people thought. He got a pretty good deal. Nobody's going to be crying for him, or they shouldn't be. But he certainly didn't get the, the value that would have been projected going into the offseason. Yeah. Well, and I think you're seeing that with teams, you know, who are looking at their big moves and their big signings. You know, the A-Rod one where the Yankees wound up paying him right. for two years to not play to and go not away. anything. And yeah. Yeah. You know, you've got the Brewers are looking at Ryan Braun, who's now a, you know, doubles hitting first base outfield platoon guy who's, yeah. you know, hopefully going to play 130 games. And they're paying him 20 plus million dollars between here and the 2020 season. And they just yeah. could, they could not find a taker for him. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think so. I, I, yeah, I don't I don't think it's a. Uh, I mean, who knows, uh, you know, but I don't, I don't think it's collusion. I think it's simply, you know, there's, there's no, I'm kind of stealing a point from, you know, Wilbon said this when they were talking about it a few weeks, months ago on PTI, you know, there's, there's no inalienable right that the money has to go up every year in free agency. You know, like that's, I think players just kind of assumed teams will keep spending more money. They don't have to. And I think this was kind of an off season where a lot of teams thought, no, thanks. Like there's, there's nothing really great out there. Uh, we're going to just sit this one out. Well, and, and it's not as if teams aren't spending money. I mean, the Dodgers are paying Kershaw 300 million and oh, sure. there's talk about yeah. is Bryce Harper going to get $400 million right. on this contract. It's like, right. yeah, maybe, but you know, that, that doesn't mean that you want to pay 32 year old previously injured Jake Arietta 25 yeah, exactly. million a year. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's uh, you know, I know the Phillies are kind of going for it, and and good for them that maybe they you know maybe they could be a surprise team, but uh, you know, Jake Arrieta had some really good years for the Cubs. He won a Cy Young. He was a big part of the World Series team. I was very leery of them bringing him back because he has shown signs of erosion. If they could have got him back for a couple of years, maybe. But the notion of signing him for like a five or six year deal, no chance. I, I wanted no part of that. I think the Phillies gave him three, right? Which yeah. you know seems like a, a decent. I mean, you know, that's a that's a premium to get him to go to a team that probably isn't as good. Like you said, you know, about the Brewers getting him. You know, you, you had to probably do that to to sway him from going to the Nationals or something like that. And I think where baseball may be trending is a version of what the Redskins did with Kirk Cousins in that. I think you're going to see more and more, especially when guys get on the wrong side of 28. Mm-hmm. Here's a one-year deal, or here's yeah. a two-year deal. You know, prove it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and 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 you know, I think that's maybe good for everybody. I mean, baseball is different than football because obviously, football they get these you know five-year deals and they almost never see the entire value of it. Baseball, you do guarantee. You know, all that money is guaranteed. Um, you know, so football, they can kind of do that. But maybe, maybe you know, Kirk Cousins is a great example. Maybe some more football players will do that. Now, they'll they'll bet on themselves. They'll take that one-year deal at a time. They'll take less years for more money guaranteed, like Cousins did with Minnesota. And maybe, yeah, maybe baseball is headed toward the same type of thing. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I think that you could easily see, not, not at the Bryce Harper level, but one of the yeah. moves I was hoping the Brewers would make, and I don't know if they did, or some team is, you know, I know Lance Lynn wound up signing a one-year $12 million deal, but right. would Arietta have taken, you know, the J.J. Reddick contract, one-year $23 million? And, you know, and for teams, if you do that and it's your go-for-it move, as long as the guy stays healthy, you right. get some return because even sure. if the team sucks, you can trade him. Yeah, true, true. Which, when the Phillies signed Arietta before the terms came out, I even thought, I wonder if this is a one-year deal that he ends up traded in July to a contender. Now, being a three-year deal, probably not. But um, I had the exact thought of that. Like, you know, maybe this is one of those where, yeah, they sign him if things go great, then he's there. And if not, eh, they can peddle him in July for, you know, a return of prospects or something like that. Yeah, well, and especially if you're a big market team where you can afford to just swallow the salary of a guy like that for a year. And, you know, let's say – that last year's Twins team was lightning in a bottle and Lance Lynn mm-hmm. is pitching great, but they're not doing anything. Right. Well, $12 million, really any team for a half season oh, will, sure. will be able to take that on. Could take that on, yeah. 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 yeah, no, that's not a bad deal for them. I mean, if if they reach the point of you know wanting to sell, 
they could get a decent return for him, I'm sure. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I feel like it was an interesting offseason. I, I think yeah. that the other thing that I really am curious to see how it plays out is, and not not to sound alarmist or anything, but has agenting and the front office dynamic shifted? Because back in the heyday of Scott Boris, he's got all these binders and he's got all this information and stats and comps. Well, now that's sure. every team. That's what they do. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. I mean, yeah, the, uh, you know, the analytic takeover of baseball certainly, you know, does change the dynamic. And that may be why a lot of why teams are, are, you know, hesitant to spend that kind of money because they have more data. They have more people saying, you know, don't buy into this guy. Don't. Don't go get. Don't go spend money on him for five years because he's already maxed out. Whether he has, uh, you know, that's a debate. I mean, you and I have talked about the analytic generation, and, and you know, I think we kind of agree that there's a place for it, but it shouldn't be the 100 percent driver of things. Um, but a lot of teams have certainly bought into it, and I think that's probably playing a role in this reduction in spending. I have a final point that I'd like to make just so that I I, – it's not fully formed. It's a half-baked thought, but I want to get it out there and either we can flesh it out together or at least I I can have it out. All right. Do you think that it would benefit current players in player associations to want to increase rookie – contract values certainly in a league like baseball where it's uncapped i don't think it matters but in other leagues where there is a salary cap if only because it will protect you longer term when team says well i could have this guy for way cheaper yeah yeah i mean it's it's a it's an interesting thought i mean certainly it has you know it's been a huge change in the dynamic of football when they put in you know the rookie salary structure we're still you know, relatively new into that. So you, you don't have to go back too far to remember what it was like when Sam you know, drafting. Yeah. I mean, when drafting a quarterback, number one, that he became your highest paid player. And you, you know, like this year and, and we're going to, you know, four weeks from tonight is the first round. And that brings me to the point that soon we need to do our quarterback breakdown. Um, but you know, it looks like we're headed for probably four quarterbacks going in the top five or 10 picks. Probably never would have seen that before because of the money that had to be spent. And now, you know, teams are copying the Eagles model from two years ago. A lot of teams are doing this this year. You can see they're adding a veteran who can start. Then they're going to draft a guy. They're maybe even adding a second veteran who can be a backup because they're just throwing resources at the position, knowing you can draft Sam Darnold number one overall, and you don't have to pay him that much money, relatively speaking. I mean, he's he's going to get paid, but it's not a huge chunk of your cap like it used to be. So, um, you know, it is interesting because, yeah, it has made it where it is easier to move on from a higher price veteran saying, I can get the same kind of talent. I get a younger guy with more potential for less money. Why would I not? You know, I mean, I thought Washington would do that. Now, they took on Alex Smith instead, which was kind of a surprise. I mean, I thought that's what they would do. They would let Kirk Cousins go. They'd draft a quarterback in the first round, and then they'd build around that guy while he's playing for cheap for four years. Yeah. And I just I wonder if that if it's a way to protect your established players. Now, yeah, look, yeah. you know, Aaron Rodgers is always going to get paid, sure. but sure. you know, there are a lot more guys who could be backups longer, but yeah. for the fact that they are priced out at a veteran minimum, that yeah. doesn't yeah. make it cost I mean, effective. Yeah. Now, I mean, I think it's been good for the NFL that that's become the case. You know, I, it, it was getting crazy, you know, the fact that, you know, Sam Bradford, who was the last one, you know, to win number one overall, and I think when he signed, he's the highest paid quarterback in the league. He'd never taken a snap before. Um, you know, that's that wasn't smart, and, and I think it's been good, but it does have, you know, long-term repercussions. It's had repercussions on the NBA. That's why guys are coming out earlier now, because – they want to start that clock to the second contract. Guys don't want to spend three years in college because they know when they go to the NBA, they're going to make X amount of money. Relatively speaking, it's not that much. And they want to start that clock. So they want to start getting that rookie deal at 19 so that at 23, they can strike it rich, then be able to strike it rich again at 27 and again at 30. You wait till you're 21, you might only get two of those contracts instead of three. 
Yeah. No, that's true. I, so, it, you know, it always has unintended consequences, I guess. And I guess I don't know where it goes for baseball other than if, if you raise the cost of going young, would it incentivize more signings of these veterans? You know, would Neil yeah. Walker not have, you know, been hung with the Orioles minor league offer until the last minute? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a it's a good question, and you know, baseball be such a change because you know, baseball the way contracts are structured for these guys, they're under team control for what six years basically. When they you know, yeah, they don't they don't have and they have arbitration, but that's it. Um, so it's so different than basketball and football where they you know immediately start on a contract and they have a certain amount of time before they're free agents. You know, baseball it's it's a lot longer time. Um, you know, and, and they. Again, they don't get paid much. I mean, these guys who are like big time, like Chris Bryant, he's getting paid a decent amount this year. But you know, the year he was the MVP, he wasn't getting paid that much at all. Well, uh, no, and, know, and teams can just auto renew you for the first three right, years before you even get right, arbitration. Right. So it's so different. I mean, teams would never want to give up that type of control because it's you know it's so advantageous. And again, football teams are starting to figure it out. I mean, look at what the Rams are doing. The Rams are spending money. Big time because they realize we got a quarterback who's still cheap for at least two more years. We got a running back who's still cheap for at least one more year. We don't have to pay them big money. Aaron Donald's still on his rookie deal. We can use that money to go get veterans before we have to pay these guys big money. Our best players are cheap, and that gives us the chance to get a second tier of best players for a lot of money. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, the learning curve for teams. And and also, I think, whether or not there will be a labor dispute in the NFL pushing back the other way on rookie deals. Although it does protect the veteran guys, the way the NFL does it, That's the thing. Yeah. Know, it, it protects so. the bulk of the salary cap for veterans. It for just, veterans. So yeah, I think you'll always be able to talk a player union force into less money for new guys because they think, well, yeah, that's more money for us right now. Yeah. And that's, that's the interesting dynamic. You know, it's why, the NBA might want to have a high school to the league right. move. And I don't know if they can unilaterally impose that. I think it has to be collectively bargained. And if that's so the too. case, you know, all of a sudden we're going to add for, for just next year, we're going to add seven or eight more guys to the town pool. That's sure. seven or eight less veterans getting to play. Sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for every, for every new player coming into the league, there's an old player who doesn't have a job anymore, uh, you know? So yeah, I mean, it is, it's, uh, you know, it's always interesting because the players association has been outspoken in, in saying this isn't right. You know, we don't like this one and done rule, but yeah, the year, the year you take it away, you're going to have more force coming into the league. And so therefore more of your current workforce going out of the league. I wonder if they'll sell it on a, on a high school or two year rule. I kind of think that's where we're headed, which I don't think is really going to fix much of the problem. Uh, I think it's going to be worse for the kids unless they go with Kerr's statement, which you and I have said multiple times, of let them go to college if they don't get drafted. Exactly, exactly. I I think that's, yeah, I mean, I I am of the belief, like, just let let them all be eligible at a high school like baseball. They're all eligible. So you can take a high school guy. There's no entering the draft. There's no exiting the draft. You're just eligible. And if you don't get drafted, you go to college. And if you get drafted in the second round and you don't want to, you don't want to be a second round pick, you go to college. You have that right. Yeah. And I think that you can do that now, and it will incentivize teams to pay more because of yeah. what they've done with the D League now G League. Right. Right. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, so if a team wants to spend a little more money and get a guy on their you know, their D-League team, you're right, G-League, I should, I should update my lingo, um, you know, then then they can, you know, and they give them kind of like baseball does. You get a set amount of money, you want to use more of it on a second-round pick, you got less for your first-round pick. You know, make your, make your decision. What do you want? Yeah, and if you want to take a kid who's 18 and you don't think he's ready now, but you think he will be, and you want right. to pay him to play for the Delaware 87ers, Okay. Yeah, then do it. Yeah, and maybe expand the draft, like you said. You know, Go we talked about that. Round. 
go for three or four rounds so that you can build that minor league, you know, so, so, you know, you take guys and then again, give them the choice. If they're a fourth round pick and, and they don't like where they went, they go to college and then they can, you know, that's what happens in baseball all the time. Guys get picked in the, you know, 10th round, they want to go to college and they, they, you know, get picked three years later in the first round and it works out great. Yeah. Well, or, it's, or they get picked in the 35th round and it doesn't work out, but that's, you know, that's the gamble you take. Yeah. It's the, uh, I mean, it's what the Brewers did with the kid from Brophy, Chad McClanahan. Right. It's like, he had the option. He could have gone and played at ASU yeah. and they drafted yeah. him in the 11th round and he told every team that it was going to take a million dollars to get him to not come. Yeah, and they negotiated it down to the wire, and the Brewers wound up giving him the million dollars to get yeah, him to exactly. skip college. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't have any problem with that at all. I think that's a a great idea to help both college basketball and the NBA. Um, you know, we'll we'll see. Uh, and as I'm reading, as we're talking, I'm reading on the bottom line that uh, that you know Mark Emmert says uh, the NBA needs to clear a pathway for high school players to come out. Like, yeah, I think we're headed that way, Mark. Mark Emmert scrambling for power. <laughs> yes, he is. Yeah, hanging on to that that amateurism like a, you know, like it's it's running away in the wind, but he's hanging on for dear life. Yeah. It's 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 a topic for another podcast. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh but uh baseball season's upon us. The final four is here. We're going to have a quarterback draft. We're going to find out on Monday if The Undertaker is going to fight John Cena at that's WrestleMania. Right, that's right. There's that's a, right. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on, people. Some of it we'll talk about. A lot of it we won't. But maybe you'll enjoy the part we get to cover. Yes. Until next time, he's Matt. I'm Ben. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast.